Hello, you guys. What is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here on the podcast every Wednesday and every Thursday on YouTube. Now, as you guys can tell by the title of today's episode, we are talking about the twisted and gruesome case of Charlie Brand. Now, this is one that I think is going to leave you very frustrated as it left me. And I'm very interested to see what you guys have to say about it, all your thoughts once we reveal everything that we know about this case. Surprisingly enough, there isn't a lot of information about Charlie out there. And I think you will find that very surprising once we start diving in to his entire life. But with that being said, let's jump right on into it today. Carl Brandt, otherwise known as Charlie, was born on February 23rd, 1957 in Fort Wayne, Indiana, to his parents, Herbert and Ilse Brandt. Now, both of his parents were actually German immigrants, and once coming to America, his father took a job working at a company called International Harvester, which is a company that makes agricultural and construction equipment. He started working as a draftsman and worked his way up to project engineer, and due to this job, their family moved around a lot. They lived in Texas and Connecticut, and in 1968, Herbert was relocated to Fort Wayne, Indiana. So that is where the family settled down, and Charlie was one of four siblings. He had an older sister who was two years older than him named Angela, and he also had two younger sisters as well that were a little bit more of an age gap. So he was the only boy of the family and him and his father bonded a lot together by going fishing and hunting. The family would often go down to Florida to visit because that is where their grandparents lived. And while they were down there, Charlie and his father would really take that as an opportunity to go out and bond together hunting. And in 1971, the Brand family was actually expecting to grow a little bit bigger because that is when Charlie's parents found out that they were going to be having a baby. And everyone was very excited for baby number five. They were absolutely thrilled to be expanding their family and really excited for the family's future. And because of Herbert's job, the family was constantly moving to different places, which meant that the kids would have to move schools a lot. So they became very acclimated to the fact that they weren't ever going to be really staying in one place for a long time. They had to transfer to several different schools and they all kind of had a different reaction to it. Angela really excelled in school, but Charlie, on the other hand, while he was a good student, he definitely was a lot quieter, he was very shy, and he did have some trouble making friends. However, no one would have ever been able to expect the type of horror that Charlie was capable of. So this case really begins on January 3rd, 1971. And this started out as any normal day and rolled in to any normal night. Everyone in the family had dinner and the big celebration of the night was that the Brandt family had actually just gotten a colored TV. So everyone was super excited. The kids were thrilled and they had all sat around together to watch an FBI show together. And once that ended, everyone kind of dispersed and went their separate ways 
for the night. Angela remembers that she got in her bed and was reading a book as she always did. While Charlie's parents were in their bathroom, Charlie's father was shaving and Charlie's mother was taking a bath at the same time. And Charlie's mother at this time was eight months pregnant. So everyone was gearing up for this new addition. Now, Angela is really the only one that has recounted this night. And according to her, she was reading in her bed when all of a sudden she heard what sounded like fireworks. Now, she immediately got out of bed to try and see what the sound was and where it was coming from. And when she went to her doorway, she heard her dad yelling from his room saying, Charlie, stop. She also heard her mom screaming out for her, telling her to call the police. And mind you, Charlie was only 13 years old at this time. But on the night of January 3rd, he went and grabbed his father's gun, ran into his parents' bathroom, and shot both his mother and his father. After that, he ran into 15-year-old Angela's bedroom where he pointed the gun at her and attempted to shoot her. However, he didn't realize that he had ran out of bullets. After he realized that he ran out of bullets, he threw the gun on the ground and that is when Angela grabbed the gun with her foot and kicked it under her bed. After that, Charlie then attempted to attack Angela physically and he was able to get her on the ground and she was lying on her back and that is when Charlie got on top of her and attempted to strangle her. Now, in the midst of this physical attack on Angela, Charlie did snap out of whatever trance he was in at the time, and you'll understand what I mean by that later, and he actually stopped strangling Angela, and Angela tried to calm him down. She told him that everything was going to be okay. She said that all of their siblings would get in the car, and they would drive off together, and everything was going to be fine and not to worry, and she actually convinced Charlie to go upstairs and grab their younger sister's blankets so they could all leave the house together. Angela said that Charlie was a little on edge from everything and was making Angela promise him that she was not going to leave him. Angela promised that she wouldn't leave Charlie, but the second that Charlie walked up the stairs to get the blankets, she headed towards the door and ran for her life. Angela actually described it as if you've ever seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre. She describes the scene where the girl is running for her life, and that's how she described how she felt in that moment. And she ended up running to her neighbor's house and knocking on the door to get help. Now, immediately when Charlie discovered that Angela was gone, he too started running out the door trying to chase after her. However, luckily, Angela was able to get there before Charlie got her. However, once Charlie got to the neighbor's house, he then knocked on the door and simply told the neighbor, I just shot my mom and dad. Now, paramedics were immediately called to the scene, and while Charlie's mother and his unborn sibling both died instantly from the gunshot wounds, Charlie's father actually was able to survive the attack. And because of that, he was able to confirm what Angela already knew, which was that Charlie was the one that shot them. Now, after the shooting, Charlie had actually confided in Angela and basically told her that he did not remember what happened. He said that he didn't remember the shooting. He didn't remember ever going and grabbing the gun. He blacked out that entire time, so he says. Now, when Angela spoke to the police, she told them that when Charlie came into her room and tried to shoot her, he was in a trans-like state, as I stated earlier. His eyes 
eyes were completely glazed over, she said, and he had a very angry stare in his eyes that would not break. But she did say that Charlie ultimately came to his senses while he was strangling Angela. So while he was strangling Angela, for some reason, the trance that he was in broke and he came to his senses and he looked at Angela and said, what am I doing? And Angela said that that is when she told Charlie, quote unquote, I don't know, but I think you shot dad. Now, of course, the first thing that police wanted to do here is figure out why on earth Charlie did this. What was the motive? What caused him to do this? Even though nothing would have been reasonable enough for this to make sense, they wanted to know his motive. Now, when asked this question, Charlie said that it was a multitude of things that led him to this point, which is interesting if you think about it, because he states that he doesn't remember. But when police were talking to him, they asked, why did he do this? And he said it was a combination of the fact that he was really stressed out at school and also the fact that two days prior to the murders, his father and him had gone out hunting and his father had shot and killed the family dog. Now, we don't have a lot of information on the killing of the family dog. We don't know if it was on purpose or on accident. Regardless, it's a traumatic thing for anyone to witness. However, that along with stress from school doesn't necessarily equate to you murdering both of your parents and your unborn sibling in cold blood. Now, because no one was really able to rationalize what had happened, and even when Charlie was explaining it, it wasn't making sense. His reasoning for what he did wasn't making sense. Authorities had Charlie go under three different psychological evaluations to try and figure out what the motive was. However, they came back inconclusive each time. And what I mean by that is they came back stating that Charlie had no mental illness. They had nothing from a neurological standpoint that would explain why he did what he did. Now, remember, at the time, Charlie was only 13 years old. So because of that, he was too young to be tried for the murder under the laws of Indiana. So instead, he was sent to a psychiatric hospital for only one year. That's it. Just one year, Charlie had to go to the psychiatric hospital for the murder of his mother, his unborn sibling, and the attempted murder of his father. And after just one year, he was released back into society and the family never spoke about it again. This was very much kept taboo under the radar. It was a very deep, dark family secret that the Brants had kept. His younger sisters, Charlie's two younger sisters, spent a decent amount of their life believing that their mother had died in a car accident because that was the story that they were told in order to cover up what Charlie had done. And they didn't find out about it until 2004. And remember, this happened in 1971. So that's well over 30 years of them living in this lie that they had been told. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, apartments.com's instant alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. Now, after Charlie was released, 
Angela, the two younger sisters, Herbert, and Charlie all relocated to Ormond Beach, Florida. But just take a second and imagine that because now Charlie's father is living with the son that tried to murder him just one year prior. And I don't, I am not a parent. I don't have children and I don't know about you, but personally for me, it would be extremely difficult for me to get any sleep at night thinking, what if my son tries to come in here and shoot me again? Because he just did it a year ago. But at the same time, I don't know what the alternative solution to that is because he can't go to prison and he is your son. So it's very, it's it's a tug of war on that one. Now, while they were in Florida, Herbert was able to start a new chapter of his life. He ended up getting remarried. And for all things considered, the family kind of went back to as much normalcy as they possibly could. And one year after being remarried, Herbert, his new wife, and his two youngest daughters ended up moving back to Indiana. And Charlie and Angela ended up staying in Florida to help take care of their grandparents. So the family did split up again, but Charlie again just continued on living a somewhat normal life. In 1984, he ended up graduating with a degree in electronics and he went on to become a radar specialist for Ford Aerospace, which was located in Lake County, Florida, and he also had a girlfriend that he ended up marrying in 1986. Charlie's wife was a woman named Teresa Helfrich, who also went by the name Terry, and the two of them settled down in Big Pine Key, Florida in 1989. Now, what Charlie did when he was 13 years old was kept a family secret from pretty much everyone, like I said, and to this day, it's unclear whether or not Charlie ever confided in Terry and told her what he had done. Angela said that her and her husband had advised Charlie to tell Terry what happened, but to this day, we do not know if that ever happened. Now, Angela's husband says that he does believe that Charlie told her just because at one point he did ask Charlie and Terry if they ever considered having children. And Terry responded by saying that they didn't think it was the best option for them considering Charlie's past. And that was the only indicator that maybe Terry could have known. But again, it wasn't a stone cold response of, no, we're not gonna have children because Charlie tried to murder his parents. So now we're going to fast forward to 2004. And at this time, Charlie was 47 and Terry was 46 and they were still living in Florida. On September 2nd, 2004, they actually had to evacuate their home because Hurricane Ivan was coming towards where they lived and they wanted to get ahead of it. Now, Terry had a niece that she was really close with named Michelle. Michelle was a successful executive working at the Gulf Channel located in Orlando, Florida, and Terry was her maternal grandmother, so Michelle's mother's sister, and Michelle absolutely loved spending time with Terry. The two of them were very close. They had a great relationship, and Michelle also really liked Charlie. Michelle's friends said that she only said good things about Charlie and said that he was very quiet and more of a sit back and observe kind of guy. And everyone thought that Charlie and Terry had the perfect marriage. They spent their time fishing on a boat at their home and were nearly inseparable. One of Terry's best friends had described them by saying, quote, if my husband loved me one third of the amount that Charlie loved Terry, I'd be the luckiest woman in the whole world world. Friends of the couple said that they never argued and no one had ever seen Charlie get 
angry. They love doing little things for each other. For example, they would make lunches for each other because they said it tasted better coming from someone you love. So when Michelle heard that Terry and Charlie needed somewhere to evacuate to, she did not hesitate to offer them to come stay at her house for as long as they needed. And so this stay ended up being about two weeks long. And in the beginning, everything seemed very normal. Michelle had a great house. She had a pool and a jacuzzi that they were all utilizing. They were having a great time together and really bonding. And during the first two weeks, Michelle spoke with her friends and her mom pretty much every day as she typically did. And nothing seemed out of the ordinary until September 13th, when one of Michelle's close friends was supposed to come by to the house and her and Michelle were supposed to just hang out and have a chill night in. However, before that ended up happening, Michelle called her friend and told her that it was probably best if they rain-checked for the night, considering that Terry and Charlie had gotten into an argument after they had been drinking. Michelle's friend thought nothing of it and said it was completely fine, no worries, they could reschedule, and then she hung up the phone. But when she did that, she didn't realize that that would be the last time that she would ever hear from Michelle. Now, after two days had gone by and neither Michelle's mother or any of her friends had heard from her, everyone started to grow increasingly worried. So Michelle's mother ended up calling one of Michelle's friends named Debbie and asked Debbie if she could go over to Michelle's house just to make sure everything was okay. And of course, Debbie agreed to do so. She kept Michelle's mom on the phone as she was walking up the driveway and told her that she would call her back once she knew that Michelle was safe. Now, once Debbie got to the house, she started knocking on the door because it was locked and no one had answered. So she decided to go over to the garage and Michelle had a garage that was basically all glass. So it was really easy to see through. And when Debbie walked around to the garage, she was horrified at what she saw. When she got to the garage, Debbie saw Charlie's body hanging from the rafters of the garage. Charlie had hung himself using bed sheets and there was a ladder right next to his body. Just as anyone would be, Debbie was completely shocked and called 911 immediately. Now, when authorities got there, they were able to get into the house and what they saw next was horrifying. Terry's body was discovered on the couch in the living room and she had been stabbed seven times. After looking through the rest of the house, they also found Michelle, who was found in her bedroom. She was found sitting on the bed, her heart and organs had been completely removed from her body and she had been completely decapitated with her head sitting right next to her. They also found the murder weapon, which were knives from Michelle's own kitchen. Now, when Michelle's family heard the news, everyone was absolutely horrified. They were devastated and left with so many more questions that they had answers. And ultimately, authorities pieced two and two together and theorized that Charlie had murdered both Michelle and Terry before ultimately hanging himself. Now, authorities' next step was to go through Charlie's house at Big Pine Keys, Florida. And when they did that, they looked through his web history. And when going through his web history, they found multiple searches that Charlie had looked up of autopsy videos. He was watching people performing autopsies. And along with that, they also found a lot of videos that Charlie watched containing necrophilia as well as violence against women. 
They also found multiple Victoria's Secret magazines throughout the house and realized that Charlie had been subscribed to Victoria's Secret. So he was constantly getting new magazines every month and this rubbed a lot of people the wrong way once they realized that Charlie had given a nickname to Michelle. And the nickname that Charlie had given to Michelle was Victoria's Secret, which if you think it's really weird, it's because it is. And there's no real you know, understanding as to why he gave her that nickname specifically, but investigators have theorized that it is because Charlie became so infatuated with Michelle and his infatuation led him to murder. Now, something else that was off-putting in the house was the amount of books that Charlie had about anatomy and more specifically, female anatomy. And when going through Charlie's house, authorities found a giant poster of the female anatomy that Charlie had hung on the back of the door of him and Terry's bedroom. Now, with the grotesqueness of this murder, authorities started to do a little bit more digging because they realized that it is very unlikely that for his first ever murder, or technically his second because he murdered his mom when he was 13, but for his first ever adult murder of that caliber, authorities believed it was very, very unlikely that that was the only one that he had ever done. So investigators started to look back at some unsolved murders in the area, and they believe that Charlie is responsible for at least several of these murders that we're going to walk through right now. However, the actual number is unknown. We don't know how many Charlie is actually responsible for, but it is believed that Charlie is responsible for the murder of 12-year-old Carol Sullivan, who in 1978 was abducted from a school bus trip in Volusia County which is exactly where Charlie was living at the time, and this was before he ever married Terry. And Carol's skull was later found in a bucket, and police believe that Charlie is responsible. However, they only have circumstantial evidence to prove so. In 1988, 20-year-old Lisa Saunders was beaten, stabbed, and dragged from her car in Big Pine Key. Her heart was missing when she was found. However, it is still unclear whether that was due to vultures eating her decomposition Posed body or if it was extracted by her murderer. In 1989, Sherry Parisho was 38 years old and her body was found at Big Pine Key near the North Pine Channel Bridge. Her throat had been slashed and her head had almost been completely severed off. Now, Sherry was found less than a thousand feet from where Charlie lived, and Charlie did match a composite sketch that was detailed by a witness. However, they couldn't directly link him. However, for this murder in particular, Terry was also suspicious. She had confided in Angela's husband that she thought that Charlie was responsible for Sherry's murder. And in 2006, investigators determined that they had enough information, and based on the evidence, they were able to close the case, stating that Charlie was the killer. However, again, he was already dead, so they could not charge him for it. In 1995, 38-year-old Darlene Toller's body was discovered near a highway that Charlie regularly used. Her head and her heart were both missing from her body. However, again, no direct link to Charlie. Now, even though, again, for three of the four that I just named, there's no direct link to Charlie, the MOs are practically identical with the decapitation of the 12-year-old girl's head, Lisa Saunders' heart being removed, which matches pretty much perfectly with what Charlie did to Michelle, and 38-year-old Sherry Parisho being found just a thousand feet 
from where Charlie lived at the time. I don't think that these are necessarily coincidences. And the fact that Terry, even his wife, even believes that he was responsible for that murder. And that really, you guys, is the case of Charlie Brandt. And it brings up a lot of questions. And what I think is interesting about Charlie's case is there really isn't a lot of information about him out there or his murders. And for the level of grotesqueness that his murders entail, usually there's a lot more information. However, with him, we don't really see that much. And it definitely leaves you wanting more in this case. But I do have a couple questions that I was thinking about that I'm curious to know what you guys think, which the first one is, do you think Terry knew? Clearly she had some sort of indication based off of her basically admitting to her brother-in-law that in 1989, she believed that Charlie murdered Sherry Parisho. However, do you think she knew of all of the murders that he was committing. Now, personally, I will say, I think just knowing about one of the murders is more than enough, but how much information do you believe that she knew about Charlie? I was reading comments on other videos and a lot of people believe that there is no way that Terry didn't know. With them being described as inseparable and this happy couple, it makes you wonder when you're with someone day in and day out like that, it's really hard to hide such a secret life from them. However, we have seen it before. Take Ted Bundy, for example. He was able to hide a lot of his murders from his girlfriend at the time. And if you do think that Terry was well aware, do you think that she could have necessarily assisted Charlie in some of the murders? Could they have acted as like a Bonnie and Clyde type of duo that ultimately just went over the edge and the second question that I have, which we have talked about a lot more recently, in more recent episodes, we have talked about child killers and child murderers. And with this case in particular, my question is, do you think that Charlie should have been released from the psychiatric hospital after only one year? I think that that is a very big question that people have here is why wasn't he kept in there longer considering the severity of of his crimes. And I'm sure now looking back, everyone would say, yes, of course he should have been kept in there longer considering what he did later on in life. But my question is at that point, do you think he should have been kept in there longer? Personally, I do believe yes, that is where I stand on that. I cannot believe he got out after just a year. And the whole family basically lived this entire secret life. Like I said, his little sisters didn't know that Charlie had murdered their mom until 2004 when he died and all of this came to light again. So what do you think about that is my question. I cannot wait to hear what you guys have to say about this one. So make sure you leave your comments below. And with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you are new here again, hi, my name is Savannah. I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast every Wednesday and then again every Thursday on YouTube. I will be back next week with a brand new case for you guys. And until then, have a happy new year and stay safe. Bye guys.